I'd like to invite you to join with reading with me from Psalm 46. If you can see the scripture on the slide. If you can't, just listen to these words, which I think are so timely for us during this time. This is from Psalm chapter 46, verse 1 through 3. Let's read it together. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather um, in homes and apartments as we gather as your church online. Um, It has been a crazy week, God. Um, Many of us are just facing uh, so much uncertainty, uh, anxiety, and worry. It just feels like a lot of stuff has just been upended. In the midst of all that, God, we cling to you. You are God. You are still good. You are still seated and thrown above. You are Lord. You are our creator. You are the one who loves us beyond what we can comprehend. And God, we cling to you right now. Even with feeble and fragile faith, we cling to you. And we ask you, God, to draw near to us as we draw near to you. And help us, help our world in this uncertain time. Lord, we trust that you will help us get through it. And as we do, I pray that you would fill us with faith, hope, and love. So that we might not just take care of our own, but we might be able to take care of those around us. That we might be salt and light. Thank you for this chance to worship. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone, Um, those of you who are joining us via our live stream. Uh, Those of you who are regular, maybe those of you who are just kind of tuning in for the first time because you weren't sure where else to go. We're just really glad that we could could do this together. Um, And, uh, yeah, it feels like our world changed overnight, didn't it? Uh, and the things that we were used to, our habits, so much of that has been disrupted. Um, and it's kind of mind-boggling to me. I was thinking about how this moment, we are actually joining thousands and maybe millions of other Christians around the country, around the world, who, because they're not able to gather in person, are meeting online. Um, and so uh, we worship the living God, uh, and we're reminded uh, of the thing that we always say here, that the church is not a building, but it is the people of God. And so uh, we continue to be the people of God during this uncertain time. Uh, I know there might be some kids, uh, kiddos who are watching with us, and so I wanted to take a moment to address you. Um, yeah, this, this is kind of a wacky time, and I know my kids are really enjoying the kind of the extra time, uh, extra time at home. Um, but I wanted to say, you know, maybe you've noticed mom or dad uh, acting a little bit more on edge Uh, maybe being a little bit anxious or short. And uh, yeah, I just want to let you know that, yeah, your parents are probably pretty stressed out right now because they're worried about your health, they're worried about their parents' health, and just what's going to go on. 
just as things continue to unfold. And so, kids, I just wanted to ask you to uh, try to be as patient as you can with your parents. Um, show them a lot of uh, grace and kindness. You know, you could ask them, like, if there's anything you could help with. And I'm sure they would, they would really appreciate that. And uh, if you, you know, have a sibling or something, uh, let's try to be extra kind to them. You know, it can be hard to just be at home all the time. So uh, we want to practice a lot of patience and a lot of love with each other, all right? But, uh, you know, every Sunday we say this blessing over our children, and um, we wanted to do that uh, for our kids. And also, parents, we want to let you know that Pastor Grace sent out a bunch of resources that you could use uh, with your kids. Actually, the same videos that we would use during class time, uh, you could access those um, if you just check the Facebook uh, Kids and Family page or check your email. Those resources are provided. So it would be awesome for you to kind of uh, walk with your kids through that um, sometime today if you have the time. But let's say this blessing over uh, our children and over one another because God knows we need, we need as much blessing as possible that we might be able to bless others. So let's say this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. All right, so I guess, kids, you're feel free to, you know, Go run amok around the house or, you know, continue watching uh, the live stream. Um, so there are a couple of things I wanted to mention, um, you know, as we enter the next few weeks. This is obviously a very uh, unique time for us as a church. Uh, so what will the next few weeks look like? Well, we, we have, um, you know, the lead team, staff team has prayerfully and, you know, considered and made this decision unanimously that we are going to be canceling or postponing all in-person meetings or gatherings for the next few weeks at least. Uh, and so that means any type of in-person gathering, we're not going to be doing that. We're going to try to shift that online if possible, or we'll just postpone it. So that's a major change, but we want to do our part as a church to contribute to the overall public health and safety of our society during this very, very kind of uh, unique time. Um, if you are new here, you know, uh, or you're just tuning in, um, you know, we're going to be continually updating our website, Facebook page, and our newsletter. That's kind of, those are the three best ways to keep uh, informed about what's happening. And as you know, things are changing by the minute. So um, if you want to stay connected, we encourage you to go online at accesslive.org, uh, hello access, and then you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, and we'll be able to keep you informed with what's happening throughout, um, throughout this time. Um, you know, and even though we've canceled all of our in-person meetings, that doesn't mean we need to stop meeting. And so um, just this past week, um, we emailed all the life group leaders and are encouraging them to find creative ways to continue to meet online. We uh, even signed up for another Zoom account so that our leaders have access to online conferencing. So, um, yeah, let's... Let's make sure we're not isolated during this time. Let's reach out to each other. Let's text each other. Let's pray for each other. Let's find ways to continue to encourage each other and pray for each other uh, during this time. Um, so a, a couple announcements as regards to some big events. So we have been talking about I2RR for the last couple months. Um, and so, you know, given um, our decision to postpone events and in-person gatherings, we have postponed this event. This is still going to be very important for us, and so we will reschedule it, and we will definitely let you know about that. Um, and if you registered already, we're going to send some instructions about uh, how to handle that, refunds and all such stuff like that. Um, we will still be having a mission partner class. And so, um, you know, if you've been coming to Access for the last several weeks, and you're 
curious about knowing what the next step would look like, what it looks like to get more involved in our community. Um, that's what we call mission partnership. Um, so our mission partners are the members, the committed members of our church. And we have a special class where we talk about our vision, uh, how we do discipleship at Access, what it looks like to really be a part of our church community. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about that, we encourage you to attend attend our class. It'll now be online via Zoom, and so you can sign up for that online, uh, and then I'll be sure to get you the information you need to, to join us for that. So that's all the announcements we have right now. Uh, again, just be sure to stay connected uh, via our various official channels, and let's really make an effort to stay connected with one another, especially those who might be a little bit more isolated during this time, you know, people who are living alone, uh, those who maybe don't have family here. Uh, let's try to be proactive in reaching out, okay? Let's do that as a church. Well, with that, I want to invite Pastor Ted for our message. Thanks, John. Hello, everybody. It's, um, I like to say it's great to see you, but I, I really can't see you today. Um, and uh, I'm sort of seeing you virtually. Uh, I know that I was the one managing uh, some of the slides. So if you have a complaint uh, about how worship went this morning and how the lyrics weren't matching some of the actual singing, um, it wasn't Donald or Danny this morning. Uh, I have a renewed appreciation for those guys this morning, a high appreciation because I cannot multitask worth uh, a dime. Uh, but anyhow, um, we are here this morning. We're here in that sense of being together um, via live stream to center ourselves on the Word of God, on prayer, on things that are really important to us as a faith community. And so I wanted to say a word about things before I actually jumped into our, our normal series to Acts. You know, there's a lot of panic going on, a lot of anxiety, and over the last several days, um, you may have seen some of that as you visited stores, you've got a, you tried going to Costco and you discovered, you know, water bottles and toilet paper are all gone, there's no cleaning supplies, and you're really struggling with, like, what do I do next? How do I make sense of, of all this? And I just wanted to bring a word of encouragement to you. You see, the church has always known a sense of adversity throughout most of its history, throughout most of its long history for the last several thousand years. The church has actually was born in a time of adversity, of persecution, um, where fear was very real. And it's not that we have uh, hit a unusual time and the church is unprepared. God has not left you. God has not left me. God has not left the church. We were actually made for such a time as this. And I want to bring that to mind, uh, especially through this scripture in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We're actually going to be talking about the context for this verse a little bit later today. Because Paul was writing to Timothy in the city of Ephesus. And he wrote this to the young pastor, reminding him of this truth. For the Spirit of God, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Let me read that one more time. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid or fearful. It gives us power, 
gives us love, and it gives us self-discipline. This past week, it kind of looked like the world lost a lot of this stuff. We lost power in the sense of, you know, people are trying to grab things that they don't have to find a sense of power. Um, there's been a lack of love, uh, treating people uh, uh, in less than kind ways. And maybe even your own sense of rhythm, of self-discipline has kind of gone out the door. But we are not abandoned by God. God knows us in this moment. And I want to remind us and pray for us. Because the Spirit of God, the, God, the Spirit that God has given us, does this, doesn't make us fearful. So let's join together in prayer and let's, let's remember this truth as we enter into Scripture today. God, thank you so much that we've been given this amazing gift of your Holy Spirit. And throughout centuries, throughout persecutions, fears, and plagues, and all kinds of things that uh, have made other people shrink, Christians have stood tall. They've been a light in dark places because of this truth, that the spirit you have given us, it makes us powerful. It makes us loving. It gives us a sense of discipline, even in this time of chaos. And I pray that would be true for all of us right now. As we're all tuning in and we're trying to get present to this truth, remind us that you are with us in all ways. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be continuing on in our series in Acts. And, you know, I was kind of debating a little bit as I was looking at news this week and kind of uh, feeling things out, uh, wanted to give a sense of normalcy to our church and to our series um, when everything else is about the virus. We'll talk about that for sure. But we also wanted to just continue on in this series that we believe that God is leading us through in the book of Acts because there's so many things in this that are relevant to who we want to be as a church. And so... We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 19 this week um, and to the encounter that happened in the city of Ephesus. So Paul has entered into a new city, into a new context, into the city of Ephesus, and things go haywire. We're going to be looking at how things kind of fell apart in that moment. But as Paul entered into Ephesus and this reaction happened, um, we were reminded of a couple of things. That the gospel, even though it's deeply a message of love, it has also been a message of challenge. Uh, it's love and challenge simultaneously. Now, oftentimes we put the accent here at Access on the love part of the message. But very much that the message of the gospel, the message that Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the one from God who has come to save us from sin and death, is also a message of challenge because it confronts you and I, in very personal places. And because of that, sometimes the reaction is fairly fearful. So let's go into that today. And as I read and as we get into the story, um, we'll, we'll see some more of that. So um, this is a great picture of Ephesus that I found online. Um, you can kind of imagine the situation as it unfolds. Acts 19, verse 23 to 41. 
about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Okay, let's pause there for a moment and kind of imagine what's going on here. A couple of details I want to point out. First of all, there was a great disturbance about the way. Now, we haven't heard this phrase in a while in the series of Acts, but it was introduced in the beginning because this is how the church was known. This is what Christians were known for. They were followers of the way. They had a different type of life, different than the rest of the world. And when people saw them, they called, oh, that's a follower of the way. That person lives differently. They follow a different type of way of life than the way of life that we know around us. Now, in particular, the silversmith Demetrius noticed that the followers of the way were creating a really bad situation for him. Now, Demetrius was an idol maker. He made idols for a living. He crafted them out of silver, and then he made something that could go to market and people could buy and he could consume and um, people could bring these idols back with them. Now, in the ancient world, just to kind of give you an idea of how this worked, people in the Roman times had all kinds of common household gods. They, they had gods that they traveled with. They had gods that they put up around their homes in these little idol forms. And they also went to the temple on, uh, throughout the week to, to worship uh, a big, giant idol of Artemis. And in particular... The city of Ephesus was known for this huge shrine to the goddess Artemis. Here's a couple of different pictures of uh, ancient Roman gods that could have been brought with people or in their homes. Uh, The particular goddess of Artemis was worshipped in a big way as a large idol. Now, uniquely, the followers of the way and the Jewish folks before them, they did something different. They didn't have idols. And because of this, they were sometimes even called atheists. It was really interesting. Like, they didn't much worship God at all. Because if you went into the Jewish temple, and you walked in on a weekend, and um, you heard people uh, worshiping, there was no idol to be found. And the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and there wasn't a giant idol of God. This was a unique and distinct feature of the way. And in some cases, Christians were even called antisocial because they didn't have an idol just like everybody else. Now, 
this is a really interesting statement and kind of one of those funny, ironic statements that you find in Scripture. Um, so Demetrius says this. He says, he's quoting Paul, gods made by human hands are no gods at all. It's a statement full of just, you know, if you think about it for a second, it's, it's really just strange. Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of true, right? I mean, if you make something with your hands, how could that be greater than you, right? If I make something with my hands, well, I don't make a whole lot of things with my hands, but if I do, I know it's going to be of an inferior quality to uh, other items that I can get in life. But if I make something with my hands, how do I worship that as something greater than I? A God and God are defined as a being of a higher order than I am. If you make anything with your hands, kind of by definition, how can that be your God? And Demetrius is complaining. Okay, well, this is what he says. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Yeah, the irony in scripture here is, that's right, man. Um, okay, so going on in the scripture. Verse 28 and following. And when they heard this, they were furious, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized the Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He, mentioned for, he motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Right? So this is a really boring chant. It went on for like two hours, and people were just freaking out. They didn't know why they were there. Some of them shouted one thing. Some shouted another. Um, this is what you might call hysteria. It's something that we know something a little about these days. So um, this is pretty fascinating because the whole city kind of fell into this hysterical moment. Um, Hysteria happens when people feel threatened. And when they feel threatened, their response is not always a rational response. It's not like they think their way through it. They feel their way through it. They feel threatened, so they grab onto something. They shout. They are afraid. And so they do whatever the crowd is doing. They've all gathered together. Now, this is the picture of Ephesus as I, I found online. It's interesting because this might have been the scenario that Paul was in, right? And so the Christians were dragged to the front. And can you imagine an entire city just screaming at you, just angry at you, just full of hysteria? Some of them actually not even knowing why they were there, just confused. And like I mentioned earlier, I was at uh, Costco this weekend. Thank God it wasn't a hysterical kind of moment. I was checking out. I just had some basics. I, you know, I didn't even have toilet paper. 
Um, but as I was walking out, you know, there was just tons of people lined up. And for the most part, people in Houston were pretty friendly. I mean, we've been through disaster before, you know, with Harvey and everything else. I think Houstonians have a, um, a, a, a better resilience, I would say, maybe, a little bit. Um, but there was also a sense of threat, because as soon as I walked in, you know, the, you know, the workers were saying, there's no more cleaning supplies. You can only take one, you know, one or two packages of water, blah, blah, blah. They were just giving everyone instructions, and people were just rushing in really quickly. Um, I think this is one of those panic moments that we are facing in culture. Um, and it's important to recognize that what happens in these panic moments is when our fear takes over, we do irrational things. We buy things at an incredible rate that we may regret later on. And part of the difference between the people of the way versus people who are just giving into hysteria in the moment was that they lived according to the way of the Prince of Peace, according to his instructions. The Spirit of God had come upon them. I mean, this is really crazy, but Paul actually wanted to go into that crowd to calm them down. That's something about the spirit that was within him. Now, the rest of the Christians said, no, that's probably not a good idea. They're, they're probably going to do something really crazy to you. And he was not allowed into that moment. But I wanted to just call this out. Now, going back into the first century, what was happening in Ephesus is that the preaching of the gospel went out. Jesus is the Savior. Everyone felt threatened. Well, Demetrius did, and he made his fellow co-workers feel threatened, so they kind of rallied together. And then not everybody knew why they were there, but they kept shouting, great is Artemis of Ephesus. I mean, this is our town. This is the way we do things. They were threatened by the message of the gospel. They were threatened because, very plainly, economically, this could cost them a lot. Let's read the last section. Now, the city clerk quieted the crowd, and he said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is... We are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. And in that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. So, what did this guy do? He said, look, plain and simple, the Romans are going to come and squash this if you guys do not. There are legal ways to go about this. Let's handle it that way. And that was it. That took over. Actually, it was a greater fear of the Romans that swallowed their fear of economic loss. Now, 
what is not included in this story today, which uh, I'll get to in just a second, is that a great church in Ephesus was started. Uh, it's the same church that we read from today. It's a church uh, that you know of in the New Testament, the book of Ephesus, I mean the book of Ephesians. It's also where Paul wrote to Timothy because Timothy was installed as the pastor uh, at Ephesus. And so those le pastoral letters are written to him there. Uh, and so uh, good things came of this, even though in this moment in Acts 19, we're seeing controversy and we're seeing a lot of hot-blooded reactions. Now, I wanted to conclude today by looking at two very, um, what I would call, idols of our time. So there were idols back then. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, that was great for them, you know, but how is this even a struggle for us? Why did I tune in today to listen to a, a message about idols? <laughs> um, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in uh, New York, um, kind of phrases it in a, in a really wise way. He says what, what the ancient people did explicitly, modern people just do implicitly. Or if you just want to simplify it, um, the gospel confronts all of our idolatry. This is what this chapter is about. Um, idolatry in the ancient world was overt for modern people. It's just covert. And what we're going to look at today is how did it happen. Now, to back up one second, I missed a slide there. Um, what the Bible has long understood is that idolatry is far more than just setting up a little shrine or a silver image or something that you make of yourself. Um, Colossians 3.5, Paul writes this. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Huh, how's that idolatry? I mean, nobody worshipped the, at the temple of greed back then. There wasn't like this shrine of greed. But what Paul understood and what all these ancient people also understood is that at the heart of things, idolatry is a matter of an image only. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter that happens deep within inside us. Greed is idolatry because we are learning to worship money above our God. And in the same case, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, all of these come from learning to set up idols in our lives. So how does it happen today? I want to mention two things, um, and these are for discussion, so you can discuss them online. And then, by the way, um, you know, we set up two different ways to look at this live stream. One's on YouTube, one's on Church Online. Um, I don't know how you guys are responding because I don't have a screen in front of me, but if you want to comment online, you can uh, through the Church Online uh, website. Um, I encourage you guys to just try it out, just just you know, give it a go. Um, but these are for our discussion today. The first, I would call the idol of self. The idol of self. This is probably one of the biggest idols that we struggle with in our day and age. Ancient people were known, ancient Christians were known, for being followers of the way. 
they subscribed to a higher standard, to a higher way of being, a way that was not just their own. This way was the way of Jesus. Today, if you want to contrast that, a lot of us tend to talk about my spiritual journey. Now, let me just say there's nothing wrong with that. I talk about it that way too. We talk about it here at Access. But the accent is on the different is on a different syllable, right? So followers of the way versus my spiritual journey. There's a different way of looking at things. Um, and we tend to put the emphasis on my own personal spiritual journey. Now, how does this become problematic or how is this problematic? Um, so I was in a conversation with a friend uh, years ago, and we are just talking about coming to faith. So my friend um, didn't follow Christ and was making this observation to me, I'm a pastor, and just saying, noting that, you know, it seems to me that most people who come to Jesus, most people who come to faith, they come because they need something. They need a savior, they're in economic crisis, or maybe they're sick, or they have some kind of issue or problem. So they come because they need God in order for them to reach their ideal life. So I kind of mapped that out here. Here's my version of it. This is the way that a lot of us conceive of God. We have our current life. This is the way my life is now. I need God because God can get me my ideal life. God is essentially a means to our ultimate end. And if that happens, who has actually become God? Who has the idol become? It's the idol of self. And I think this is interesting because God sure certainly does this. He does offer gifts. He does promise to meet us in our moment of need. He feeds the hungry. He's a father to the fatherless. I rely on God for a ton of things in my life. And I have to be careful to understand that I'm still at the ultimate, a follower of the way, and that God is not somehow just helping me to reach my ideal life. This is the idol of self. This is really interesting, too. Um, I went on the Target website this week, and I know they sell these things, so I just looked it up again. I was, I was surprised by the cost, because I looked at this like 10 years ago, and Buddhas were a lot cheaper back then. But you can now get a decorative Buddha from Target. Um, it's in the $300 range. But note this. You know, the difference between ancient people who used to worship Buddha and the target Buddha is that the target Buddha is decor. It's under decor. It is meant to accessorize your life, to make your life, your home, your patio, or whatever, more spiritual, right? The target decor Buddha. Or, um, I know this is a little bit older, but Burger King slogan, right? Have it your way. It's all about having life our way. This is lending to the idol of self. So I wanted to share another story, kind of a parable today about the idol of self and kind of becoming less self-centered. And I read this in a book by Pete Rollins uh, years ago. Um, 
once upon a time, there was a princess. And this princess was part of a kingdom that lost everything. There was a disaster, and this kingdom lost its food, its wealth. And so in the palace where she lived, it was in shambles. One night, the princess had a dream. And the princess dreamed about a beggar, a young beggar in the marketplace. And as she walked up to this beggar, came close, wanted to look face to face at this beggar, the dream ended. She wanted to see what he was about. Now, the image in her dream was so stark and so realistic that this dream haunted her for years. And she didn't know what to do about it, but she launched it in the back of her mind. Now, one day she did walk through the marketplace. And lo and behold, she saw the same young beggar from her dream. And the young beggar, um, she went up to and approached because she had the sense that the beggar had something for her. So she asked, do you have something for him, her, for me? And the beggar gave her this package and left. And she left. She went back to her palace and unwrapped the gift. The gift was this huge bundle of gold. Now, this was an amazing gift that could have solved her problems and solved much of the kingdom's problems. The princess went to sleep that night, but was disturbed by the whole situation. And couldn't really figure out what to do next. The next morning, she was resolute, took this bag of gold, went to the sea, and threw the bag of gold into the ocean. She went back to the marketplace to find this beggar, found the beggar, and said this, tell me. What wealth do you possess that you can give away gifts of such extravagance? It's an interesting story because it's about a change of heart. And I think this is what many of us discover in our faith, in our journey with God. As we worship a God who lavishes us with gifts of love and grace of wealth, we are taken aback by this God who's, who's so overflowing with generosity that these things just come out of a heart of grace. You and I have come to a God who is generous beyond our wildest imaginations. And when we've learned to worship the gift, we have lost sight of the giver. The true and ultimate gift of our faith is God himself. Not only is a God who gives us gifts, we worship a God who is a gift giver, and he is our greatest gift. The treasure of our faith has always been God. We are offered new life, and it is a life with There's a second idol I want to mention today, and I'll go a little quicker with this one. This is the idol of self-image. And the key question behind this idol 
is the question, what do people think of me? How do other people perceive me? What do other people see when they look at me and my life? This is a terrible dilemma that we face today because it is an image, it is an idol that I know so many of us struggle with on a regular basis. And it is an idol that is fed into by so much of the things that we do in our world of selfies. We want to present our best self. We want to show ourselves in the best light because, heaven forbid, someone see us in our natural state, in a, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of vulnerability. What do other people think of me? A few years ago, I heard this uh, story from a, a local pastor, and she was sharing uh, the story of her own struggle with self-image. And throughout most of her life, she said that she had lived the life of a, a good girl. She was known as the good girl in her family, and she became a pastor and continued to live this good girl narrative. And this narrative meant that everybody liked her and that everybody looked at her and thought of her in the best light. And this good girl narrative continued with her even when she began to face troubles of her own in her own life. Through a series of events, she and losses, she began to question her own good girl mentality. And through that series of events, she began to struggle with depression in her life. This depression was very real. She had a hard time even getting up out of bed. She was in such a depressive um, state. She didn't know if she could keep this good girl image up any longer. And it was in the middle of this struggle that she heard the voice of God speak to her very clearly. And God spoke to her and said, when are you going to get rid of this idol in your life? And she knew exactly what that meant. It was the idol of self-image, her self-justification, the idol of thinking of herself in this certain way, of wanting to keep up appearances. Keeping up appearances cost her so much energy in life, so much of her emotional energy, so much of her time and effort, that she couldn't have this genuine and free, vulnerable relationship with God. The idol of self-image is one of those things that plagues many of us who even have to go on stage or have a, a very public persona to deal with. What do people think of you? And how much does that control your actions in life? And when people think badly of you, what does that do to you? How do you respond? I diagram it this way. Well, not really a diagram, but I kind of mapped it out this way. There is the current me versus the valuable me that I want others to know. This me is smart, it's accomplished, it's educated, it's wealthy. You fill in the blank with what you feel like you struggle with. This is the idol of self-image. Now in a moment, I'm going to invite Josh to come back up and uh, play some music for us as we uh, walk through some of these 
dynamics. I know this is, a again, a fearful time for many of us. But it's a fearful time for many of us. And I'm trying to be pretty honest here because we feel threatened. And some of us need to take a moment to really reflect and think about what is it that is threatened in this time. Some of it's pretty legit. Some of it is fear for our loved ones and, and fear for things that really um, do threaten our safety. But also in this time, it's important for us to be able to stop, take stock of our lives, and ask ourselves, as Acts asks us, what is really disturbing our ability to follow the way? I'd like us to lead in a, in a word of prayer as we close today. So let's take a moment to have, uh, let's take a moment with God. And as you're joining us online, I, I, I know it's a little different. Maybe you're staring at a screen. But I just encourage you, close your eyes. Know that God is with you. Know that God is in this moment with you wherever you are. And however, in whatever state you might be in, worried, afraid, anxious, maybe convicted, maybe tortured by some other thing. Maybe you're going through depression like that friend we heard of. Maybe you're going through some other things that you're afraid to mention. I want you to know that God is with you not only to challenge you, but to bring you life, to bring you grace, to bring you hope, to let you know that the spirit within you is full of power and love and self-discipline. You are not alone. You are loved. together. God, in this moment, we come before you collectively in prayer, and we ask that you renew us from the inside out. And I pray that you would help us as a church, as access to be light in dark times, to be people who stand in peace who do not give in to hysteria, but hold firmly to the challenge and love that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To know this love, to be able to share it with others. I also pray for my friends who may be joining us online who don't know you today. And maybe today this is your first time hearing about this. Maybe it's your first time hearing about some of these things. If you would like to respond in prayer, however it means to you, follow me in our simple prayer this morning. God, guide me. I ask for your help. I don't have all the answers, but I am taken by this promise of Jesus to forgive me of sin, to take me out from death, and to bring me into new life. I trust that what Jesus did on the cross applies to me. And I want to walk this day in new life with you. 
I trust this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you join me with that prayer online or if you join any of those prayers online, I know it's a little bit more difficult to connect these days because of what new dynamics that we have in culture. But feel free to send an email to staff, text us, call us. We would love to be able to minister with you, to pray with you, to walk with you through these times. If you are really finding yourself struggling with some of these dynamics as well, know that you are not alone. We can help find resources for you. We can help find ways for you to find help. I'm not really sure how to end an online uh, service. We do have our sending prayer. So I guess we're going to do that. Oh, we have some conversation too. So hey, this is great. Um, whoops. Um, so you can do a screenshot if you need. We'll make this available online. Um, we can do this uh, through YouTube or church online. Um, but these are some conversation questions to talk with people at home. You know, there's a lot of conversations stuck around virus fears, you know, it's also refreshing to have other ones. How is your threat of COVID-19 impacting your life? Of course, this is an important topic. But also, read Acts 19 again, Paul's missionary journey in Ephesus. What stands out to you? What do you notice? And let's talk about some of these idols of self, the idols of self-image. What are your thoughts on it? And collectively, can we do this? This is our sending prayer, which we've prayed for the last... (laughs) decade or more, but if you can, join me online. Pray this out loud. Let's pray this together. This is our sending prayer. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen.